Today I'm going to continue the series we started two weeks ago on privileges of the kingdom. And I, I said this, I think I said it two weeks ago, it's, it's seven topics that I've preached from before in series, but looking at it a little different. These are really the seven marks of a disciple, the seven characteristics of a fully devoted, developed, deployed disciple of Jesus that we are endeavoring to be. And so today we're going to look at the privilege to worship. We'll be reading today from John chapter 9, beginning at verse 35, and I'm going to walk back through the whole chapter, but the text and the focus point of what going to talk about today, John chapter 9. The New Living Translation says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking with you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. You're guilty because you claim you can see. So today, once again, I'll preach for just a little bit, the privilege to worship, the privilege to worship. God bless you. You may be seated. Worship is a theme throughout the Bible. In fact, worship really shows up in the Bible prior to the first use of the word. The word worship doesn't appear in the Bible until Genesis 22 This is when Abraham is on his way up the mountain to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God. And when Isaac would say to his father, I I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? But ultimately, even before Isaac would recognize that, he knew why they were going up. He knew they were going up because Abraham had told his servants, you wait here. The lad and I are going up to worship. It is that first use of the word worship. In the Hebrew, there are six different words that are used in the Old Testament for the word worship that are translated worship. In the New Testament, it is expanded to nine words. Nine different Greek words in the New Testament are used for worship, and I'm not going to give those to you, but... I would just tell you this, that the primary and the main definition of all of those 15 words used in the Bible for worship is this, it is acts of praise and reverence to God. It is any act of praise or any act of reverence that you would give to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it is worship. And in the New Testament, it generally, the words that are used, those nine Greek words, typically have to do with reverence or homage to someone, and usually it is by kneeling or prostrating oneself before that person. 
It is this idea that is in mind in the text that I read when the man who had been born blind, when he recognizes who Jesus is, he says, I believe, and he worshiped. It is this act of paying reverence and homage, and it is done through kneeling down before Jesus. But before all of that, you've got to know what brought this about. Why is this man now coming back to Jesus and Jesus asking this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? We'll get to those questions in a few minutes, but the chapter, the entire chapter, John chapter 9, is devoted to this one story, this one instance in the life of Jesus. It would tell us that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. He just knows the man's been blind because he knows everything. He's God manifest in the flesh. He knows it all and he sees this man and he's born blind. And his disciples would ask him and they would use that word for teacher, rabbi. Why was this man born blind? Because in New Testament times and even in the Old Testament times, it was a carryover where they assumed that if somebody was born a certain way and they were born having some kind of disease or dis- uh, infirmity or handicap, that it was because of something they had done. And so the disciples are looking at this man, he's been born blind, and that would beg the question, I mean, how do you sin before you're born? So they asked Jesus this question, was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? There are some theological assumptions in this, and that is that God would know he was going to sin, therefore he's punishing him before he's born, because he doesn't sin in, his, in the womb. But, or was it his parents had sinned, and so the child that they gave birth to, he's born blind because of what they've done. But Jesus answered that question, it's neither. It's not because of his sins, it's not because of his parents' sins, but he said it happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. There's an interesting play on words in this text. This man who cannot see is that way so that God can be seen. Just an interest, just, I'll just throw that out there, it's just a freebie. He's not born blind because of his sins or his parents, but so God, the power of God could be seen in him. And, and Jesus makes this little turn and then he teaches them. He uses this as a moment of teaching that would have to do with the ability to see and the ability not to see. And he would say, verse 4, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. It's going to get dark and nobody's going to be able to see. So we've got to do what we're supposed to do and do it quickly. We've got to do it now. Using this seeing and not seeing. And then he would say the night is coming. It's going to be too dark. But while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the light of the world, what does he do? He brings light into the world and he's not asked to heal this man. 
In fact, I don't even know that the man who's born blind doesn't give his name. I don't even know if he knows Jesus is there. Maybe he does because it is a at least an anecdotal truth that people who have a disability, their other senses are enhanced. So maybe he hears this conversation and he knows they're talking about him and maybe he's heard them call him rabbi and maybe in the course of the conversation they've said Jesus. But it seems like not. He doesn't even know. But Jesus bends down and spits on the ground. Jesus does miracles like he wants to do miracles. Spits on the ground and he makes mud with the saliva. I'm not going to imitate that today. He takes this mud pie and he puts it on the eyes of the man who has been born blind. Let me back up here. We see something similar to this. It's, it's a little different. Naaman, the Assyrian captain in the Old Testament, he's got leprosy and he's told that there is a God in Israel who can heal his leprosy. And he goes to the prophet and the prophet says, well, dip seven times in the Jordan. The guy's like, I don't like the Jordan. It's a muddy river. Surely there are better rivers in Assyria. There's a lot of clean, nice rivers, man. The water's clean and pure, but the Jordan. But it's not even about the water. It's not about the mud. It's not about the fact that this man is going to be told to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. It's about his faith. And it's about his obedience. And so when he is told by Jesus, go and wash The man goes and he washes the mud off of his eyes and he comes back seeing Jesus performs the miracle. He's not asked to do it. He just does the miracle. Now you would think that when a miracle takes place that everybody would be excited. But not when Jesus does miracles. Not in the New Testament, the neighbors of the man who has born blind, they see this man and they recognize he can now see and they're like, isn't that the guy who couldn't see? They ask the question, they, they like, and he said, yep, that's me. In fact, the the NLT would just say it this way. Yes, I am the same one. I'm the one who couldn't see, but now I can. Now I can see. I'm all healed. Everything is okay. And they said, well, who healed you? What happened? They don't actually even celebrate the miracle. They just want to know about it. Tell them. I'm going to leave that alone to you. He told them. The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. And their question, they still weren't celebrating, their question was, where is he now? And he's like, I don't know. I got healed and I went on my way. I don't know where he is. But at least these friends of his, they were interested in it. They knew that he had been blind and they they knew that he could now see and there was some level of 
This is extraordinary. Who did it and how did they do it? We want to dig into this. But some rejected the miracle worker. These friends or these people, neighbors, the Bible says, it's doubtful that he had many friends. But they took this man who had been blind, they took him to the Pharisees. And a little detail comes up at this point. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus did this. Jesus does a lot of miracles on the Sabbath day. And I'm thankful because most of the miracles I've seen, they've happened on the Sabbath day. I know, I know the real Sabbath, the Sabbath is Saturday, we celebrate it on Sunday, but I've seen a whole lot of miracles on Sunday. On the Sabbath day when Jesus shows up and needs are in the room, He is a miracle working God. But these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, and he's not supposed to do anything like that on the Sabbath day. He did this miracle and this work of healing and he made a mud pie. You don't make mud pies on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. And he said, and so he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees would say, this man, Jesus, he is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath day. Doesn't he know? He can't do that. And it's not in our text, but Jesus in another place would say, don't you know that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? It's to give you rest. And he went in and he chastised the Pharisees. He doesn't get that opportunity here, but they're saying he can't be from God, and in fact, he's an ordinary sinner. How could he do such miraculous signs? There's a deep division among them. The Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man? The man says, I think he must be a prophet. Who else is going to do this? Who else can heal the blinded eyes? And The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind. So not only do they reject the miracle worker, they reject the miracle and say, oh, he's got to be making this up. Surely, Jesus could not do this. And they found his parents and asked his parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? How can he see? And they're like, we don't know. He's our son and he was born blind and it looks like he can see. Why don't you ask him all about it? His parents, afraid of the Jewish leaders, didn't want to answer, so they said that. He's old enough. Ask him. For the second time, they called the man in who'd been blind and said, God should get the glory for, for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. But an experience always trumps an argument. You've heard me say that. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And the guy said, I don't, and I, don't, he said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. You can say what you want. All I know is I was blind and now I see. All I know is that I was born blind and I never saw before. But when he did what he did on the day he did it, all I know is I can see. And that's good enough for me. You can call him what you want, but I believe he's a miracle worker. And I believe he's a prophet because I can see. But what did he do? How did he do? And he, he said, I already told you all of that. And 
Let me fast forward. He gets into this dialogue. And he even tells them, since the world has began, this has never happened. Why are you going to deny it? And they said, you're a sinner too. They throw him out of the synagogue. It's the common theme in the Gospels that Jesus will do the miracles and the religious leaders will reject the miracles. But that's really not the point of the message today. The point of the message is not what took place in the first 34 verses of chapter 9, but it's what takes place at the end. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. The man doesn't hunt Jesus down, Jesus hunts him down. And and he asked them this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Once again, the man said, who is he? I want to believe. I don't know who he is. And Jesus says, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you. And the response of this man is, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. So really what I'm coming to preach about today is worship, that it is that response that if Jesus is worthy of worship, then it is our, it is our imperative and it is also our prerogative and it is our privilege to worship Jesus. Anybody believe he's worthy of worship today? Would you do that right now? Would you just give him a little worship and a little praise? So what does all of this have to do with us? The first thing it has to do with us is this. That worship should be our first response after believing in Jesus. That the moment we understand who He is and the moment we believe in Him and the moment we understand that He is our only hope of salvation and we understand what He has done for us on the cross, our first response should be to bow down and worship Him. That we should bow our knee before the Lord and say, praise to you because of what you have done and because of who you are. We should worship Jesus. It is our first response. Jesus would use this phrase, do you believe in the Son of Man? And Once again, I've told you before that Son of Man is Jesus' self-designation. He refers to Himself in that third person all the time. How many parents have done that? My daddy said. Anybody ever got kids? When you get kids, you start doing this third person thing. Mama said, Mama going to knock you out or whatever. I don't know. It's amazing what pops into my head. But Jesus would use this third person designation, Son of Man. He uses it all the time. The Son of Man came not to do this, but that. And the Son of Man. And he says to this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And it's really a callback to the Messiah that is coming. And it's really a call back to the second time the Messiah is coming because Daniel would use that of Jesus' second coming and say the Son of Man coming. So when he asked this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He, he knows about the prophet Daniel and he knows what's been said back there and he's like, I want to believe in him, I just don't know who he is. And Jesus tells him who he is 
And he's, the moment he does that, he falls down and he worships him. Understand, he doesn't worship Jesus just because of the miracle. He thinks he's a prophet. You don't worship prophets. But when Jesus says, the Son of Man, now he understands this is more than a prophet. When he understands that Jesus is that Son of Man spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that something greater than just a prophet, something greater than just an ordinary man is here, and he falls on his knees and he worships Jesus. It should be our first response when we believe and understand who Jesus is. The second thing is this, we must worship Jesus physically. There is a physicality to worship. The Old Testament sacrificial system, actually taking animals and killing the animals and offering them as burnt offerings and sacrifices and the first fruits of the harvest or other offerings that they would do it was a physical act here he bows down and he pays homage to Jesus and reverence to Jesus it is a physical act of bowing seven or eight he different Hebrew words are used for praise not counting the ones I mentioned about worship they would do with physical acts of clapping your hands and singing and shouting unto the Lord and dancing physical Things we do as acts of worship. Physically participating in corporate worship. Like you've been doing all service long where you're singing or you're clapping or you're lifting your hands and you're saying God is good. And you're just attributing awesome greatness to the, our great God and Savior and you're saying how wonderful He is. Physical acts of worship. But the third truth is this, is that worship goes beyond the physical it's not just a physical thing that we do, it is also our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our motives, it's how we live. That He's not just worthy of me clapping my hands on a Sunday morning, He's not just worthy of me showing up, He's not just worthy of me singing, but He's worthy of what I think. He's worthy of my wants and desires, and He's worthy of how I live my life. That what I do on Monday and Tuesday, beyond the clapping or beyond the prayer, is how I live. It's worship unto our great God and Savior. So I was preparing this message. I, the story came to me of the little boy in school. It's anecdotal. may not be true. Who knows? who gets chastised by his teacher for being out of his seat. The teacher tells him, sit down, go sit in your seat. And he goes and he sits down. He sits down physically, but he says, I'm still standing up on the inside. I'm just doing, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want the punishment that's going to come, but I'm standing up on the inside. You, what I would tell you is, our worship is more than what we do on the outside, but on the inside we're bowed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we are bowing our knee at every moment of every day that we're living, that we're in worship unto Jesus Christ. Would you give Him a little bit of worship right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
fourth thing is this. We worship Jesus as the result of recognizing what He has done. It wasn't just the miracle as I mentioned. No doubt that was part of it. It's part of the reason He would believe. If Jesus had just come up and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, okay, maybe, hopefully. Who is He? Well, it's me. No doubt He would have thought Jesus had lost His mind. Because there was a miracle back there. And then He makes this claim that, yeah, I'm the Son of Man. Okay, I I can believe now because I've seen the miracle. When we recognize what Jesus has done for us, you may say, well, I've never been healed. I've never had the miracle. But Jesus would take this passage and He, after the man bows to Him, verse 39, I entered this world, Jesus said, to render judgment. To give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. He makes this change and he's no longer talking about physical blindness. He's no longer talking about the person who can't physically see, but he says, I entered this world to give sight to the blind. That all who are lost are really blind. And that's why I'm here. I I didn't come just for a few miracles here and there, but I came to give sight to everyone who is blind. And to show He takes it that step further to show those who think they see, who think they know it all and think they've got it all together to show them that they're really blind and they need me too. Pharisees who were standing by recognized what Jesus was saying. And so they said, are you saying we're blind? They recognized that he's talking about them who think that they can see and think they know everything, think they have all of it figured out. And Jesus makes this another twist. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. It's not that they're not blind, they just say they're not. And if you say you're not blind, you're going to be guilty. You're going to stay guilty. John would write this in his first epistle. If a man would say he has no sin, he is a liar. The Pharisees saying, we we can see, we've got it all figured out. We don't need you, Jesus. We don't need what you have to offer. And he says, because you're rejecting me, that proves you're really blind and you stay guilty. So what I would tell you is this, that all of us were born blind. All of us were born separated and apart from Jesus. All of us could not see spiritually. Our eyes were blinded. In fact, the New Testament would tell us that the God of this world, Satan, would seek to blind the eyes of those who would hear the truth. Acknowledging our blindness and Jesus as Savior opens our eyes. That moment when we recognize that we need Jesus is the moment that the scales fall off and The moment that we can begin to see beyond ourselves and begin to see who we really are and we can begin to see who He really is. And Paul would write in Ephesians after talking about the goodness of God and the salvation that God would bring, he would say this, for this reason I bow my knees 
before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. His response to understanding what Jesus has done, he says, I bow my knee because of what he's done for me. I bow in worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of all that he's done for me. Anybody thankful for salvation today? Anybody thankful for what God has done in your life today? Oh, he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of worship today. And in speaking of Jesus, Paul would write Philippians. In speaking of God who has come manifest in flesh, made himself of no reputation and took him on himself the form of a servant and being found in likeness as a man he humbled himself unto death even the death of the cross for this reason God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Everybody's going to bow one day. I would just tell you this. I'd rather bow now. That I've come to give God worship because of who He is and because of what He's done and because He has saved me and He has set me on a path that's going to get me to heaven. Anybody thankful for that today? Fifthly and final, and I'm wrapping up. We must worship Jesus regardless of what others think. This is a difficult thing for for most people. Depending on the situation, circumstance, it's difficult for me at times. Been in this all my life, received the Holy Ghost. November was 40 years ago. Peer pressure is real. And concern about what others think is real. These Pharisees, they had denied the miracle. These Pharisees, they're still standing by. They hear what Jesus says to the man who's born blind. They not only denied the miracle, they denied the miracle worker. And this man who was born blind but could now see, he worshiped anyway. I don't care what you think. I don't care whether you believe it's true. I don't care whether you believe it's real. I believe and therefore I worship. It doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. Everything we do is for an audience of one. That's only one person that counts. 
And he's here today. He's in this room. And he's looking down. And he's saying, will they worship? In this moment and beyond, will they worship? It is our privilege to worship. David would dance before the Ark of the Covenant when he brought it back after being gone for some 20 plus years taken by the Philistines and he he brings it back to Jerusalem and he would walk just a little bit and he would then dance before the Ark of the Covenant and his wife in a window watching despised him for what he was doing but it didn't matter David said the Ark the glory of God is coming back and he's worthy of worship and so he danced and he praised and he would go a little bit bring the Ark and then he would dance and praise because of what it meant to have the glory of God back We dance and we praise and we give God worship when we go to church. We clap our hands. We lift our hands. We live in a way that is worthy of worship. Oh, when I think of His goodness and all He's done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Would you stand together? Would you just begin to give God praise and give God worship? However you want to do it, but make sure that you're doing it unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I praise you today. I give you glory. I give you praise today. When I think of your goodness, Lord, I worship. And when I think of your goodness, I can't help but cry hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. God, we give you glory, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise.